Hey everybody, and welcome to Svetland tries to convince you to play Shadowrun for about an hour and a half. <laughs> We're doing it in the spirit of festivities as we uh, head into a bright future of Thanabus Cup filled weeks. We decided to give inspiration, which is a word that will come in play later, to everybody in the community by doing another one of these. Um, welcome to D&D Cast 2. The conceit behind this uh, came with one of our guests, the community manager, Game Master. Say hi. Hello there. And, of course, returning guest, Phelp, who I am terrified of doing any variety shows without. Say hi, Phelp. Hello. Hell yes. So, the idea uh, came from Game Master's incredibly deep, uh, let's say, role-playing experience. Uh, as he mentioned on his Meet the Team podcast, he's been playing role-playing games of multiple varieties for, what, decades at this point? So I, there is no way I cannot have him on for a DD podcast. And as everybody who plays any type of tabletop game can attest, the one of the most fun things about tabletop role-playing is sitting down around the digital campfire and telling stories with your friends. So this is what we're going to be doing for the uh, foreseeable future, and you are trapped here with us. Like and subscribe. Ahem. So... Gentlemen, let us start with a few sentences about your D&D experience. Um, man, alright, so... As uh, the people who uh, enjoyed the, uh, or watched or listened to the first um, D&D cast, I've, uh, I'm not, I'm not as much of a veteran in D&D as, uh, as our uh, guest Thor here is. Um, but... No, my experience with D&D &D, uh, could probably be summarized in um, it's just stupid fun with references, memes, and the occasional really deep and dark uh, storytelling. <laughs> storytelling. <laughs> that yeah, yeah. That's, a good, that's a good one. So, yeah. Uh, that's right, you're trapped here with us, and uh, <laughs> I have been trapped in the world of D&D for almost two decades, I think. What a segue. Yeah, and, <laughs> and it's not something I want to leave, but I also don't think I can leave it. So, I actually didn't start with D&D, I actually started with the, with the highest difficulty of just wanting to make my own rule set and own game to start off with. Being only <laughs> ten years old or nine years old, that's what we tried to do. And That's it was absolutely madness because it wasn't balanced. It wasn't. It was broken in every way. You learned and to swim by drowning. Yeah, there was characters who There was characters who could one shot bosses, and there of were course. some characters who could. Yeah, and oh, uh, well, uh, and 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 the way we we made the world was just. What do you want to play? Okay, you want to play something like a Viking, so I'm gonna make something like a Viking for you. Okay, what do you want to play? You want to play someone who does, does someone with elements, so we're going to make an elementalist for you and stuff. And it was absolutely broken. Then we transitioned into D&D 3rd &D, uh, edition, I think it was, and then 3.5, and then we didn't touch the 4th edition because I didn't want to. And then we played Pathfinder, we played Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition, and Cthulhu and Vampire the Masquerade. And I think the last three of these stuck with us for a long time. Um... But yeah, I've been DMing for, for quite a long time, and I've been on a serious note, on a not-so-serious note, but I ended up pretty much where you talked about, felt focusing on storytelling and immersion and being also a writer. I aim to do my campaigns in a way that it feels like I'm writing a book, but the players have 
have the command of of writing their own characters inside the book. That's that's how I aim to see my campaigns right now. It is interesting that you that you mentioned that because uh, that sort of um, rolls nicely into my D and D experience, where I have been playing since 2012, but I only got uh, I guess serious about it in 2015, I believe, or it was was it mid 2016, one of the two. And our DM is an aspiring writer. He's actually doing a master's uh, in literature of sorts. And we are playing in one of the worlds he created. And he has pretty much the same approach as you do, where he is drawing inspiration for his writing from the things we do. Uh, And my, I guess, RPG experience is mostly that. It's playing his campaign, which we just wrapped up after five years and on the side i am really like really into Shadowrun. that's why i started the podcast the way i did uh and that is slowly blossoming into something fantastic and hopefully in dnd cast 3 i'll have more Shadowrun stories to share but i i'm already loaded up with some um so dnd is nothing without the characters uh whether dm created or player played um and apropos of that, uh, I would like to ask you, gentlemen, what your favorite class and race is in D&D. I believe uh, Felp has already touched upon that, but you can refresh yes, your memory. Sir. So, yeah, I... Whenever I play a game, whenever I think strategy, whenever I look at something, it's it's a problem to be solved, right? It's it's not an it's not an impossibility. It's it's just a problem that needs solving. And the best class that embodies this is the wizard, or rather, the elven wizard, uh, because they just get the most options. Uh, I like to see it as a uh, a magical Batman of sorts. <laughs> Very aptly put, yeah. Um, and you know, even if even if you don't have a spell that specifically covers the interesting scenario that you encountered with a little uh, flirting with the dm and uh maybe pushing the uh, the rule of cool a little bit uh you can get away with a lot of things and oh, yeah. that it, it really does make for some amazing scenarios maybe so yeah some bribing uh, yeah maybe some bribing too yeah <laughs> for sure <laughs> i've managed to bribe the dm with my artistic skills a few times <laughs> Uh, but yes, so definitely the uh, the wizard and uh, and the elven wizard specifically. It's a favorite class and race combination. Nice. What about you, Thor? Um, it's something to do with magic, but it's more something to do with divine magic. I find myself coming back uh, to the paladin again mm. and again and again. And since the Asima came out, I like playing the Asima paladin. And the Asima is, is, is a snowflake race, but uh, I like being a snowflake when you get the chance to play D&D because I often do not get the chance to play D&D because I get the chance to DM D&D. So when I get the chance to play, I I love to be a, a snowflake character. What is and, that paladin? Uh, Just full-on lawful good, I assume? Yeah, in the, in the older editions, that was kind of like a given that you had to be lawful good. I think nowadays, with a lot of homebrew and... and and different way of playing D&D, you often get to do something like maybe lawful neutral, mm-hmm. uh, maybe even lawful evil, and be an oathbreaker. Um, but I like playing lawful characters, so it fits me, and I like I like harnessing the power of my god. I like flaunting religion. I like being extreme 
in my seller's uh, devotion when I play the games, and it's funny because it's a direct uh, opposite of what I am. Uh, mm-hmm. Like uh, I am an atheist, and I am I am interested in in, in religion as a story based element because I like stories. Yeah. Uh, but when I play D and D, I go all out, and I love the paladin. Hell yeah, uh, I'm boring uh, in a sense where I haven't played way too many characters, uh, and by default, the class and race I gravitate most towards is my favorite character, uh, good old Callus, the one-legged knight. Um, the conceit behind him, as I mentioned in the previous cast was to create a character who is mechanically very simple, so I can focus on role-playing almost exclusively so I can learn how to role-play effectively. And so, again, by default, my favorite class is a sword and board fighter human, which is very, so boring. Uh, very creative. Yeah. Wizard fighter and, and paladin. Let's go. Yes. On. we got a real party on our hands here. <laughs> I'm not can healing. Hire rogue? Not again. I'm not D- don't worry. I-, I heard the new wizard subclass can uh, can cover oh. uh, sword fighting. Mm-hmm. Um, that is that is in a nutshell our favorite classes and races. What about our your guys' uh, favorite campaigns? Oh, um, well, you see, uh, that becomes a bit of a uh, bit of a problem here because when you've only been in three campaigns. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Granted, the- these have been long running campaigns, though. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I mentioned um, last time around, I've been playing the, the one campaign for about three years, and it's it's finished now, uh, and we've started a new one. And between the current one and the one that we finished, I think I, I do like this new one more, and it's purely because you're more experienced. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you, you've taken what you've learned, both you and the DM have taken what you've learned from, from the previous campaign, and now you've started a new one, you have the set goal, and you're trying something different. I'm, instead of being the wizard, I'm trying a, a barbarian. Because, again, as uh, kind of touching on what Svetlin mentioned there with, you know, you want to play simple things and then learn a roleplay, I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm feeling the same here a little bit. Uh, but also, I'm instead of messing around with spells, I'm more curious. What if I take the more uh, uh, um, an approach towards crafting, uh, using the items in my inventory, using bombs, using uh, uh, alchemy, or using um, rope in creative ways? Using the items at my disposal, just mundane items in creative ways, and how to create, you know, uh, solutions to these problems. Uh, and this campaign is all about exploration as well, and it's exploring, sharding a new world, essentially. We're going to this outer continent, and we're establishing a colony, and we're going to help, essentially, uh, map out this entire continent. And there are tribal people living here, and it's all about getting to know them, and making sure that we don't just bulldoze over them, you know, uh, early European style coming to yeah. America. Um, that we actually, you know, come in here, we come in peace, and we play the Portuguese card. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, so it's it, a lot of um, a lot of exploration, you know, new foundations, uh, almost a city building sim, uh, where we make decisions for our settlements. And I really like that larger scale picture of having 
proper downtime where you get to do stuff that really affects the the world around you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's not something we had a lot of in uh, in, in my previous campaign. And so mm-hmm. that's why I'm I'm really liking this uh, this campaign that I'm currently doing here, all about exploration and building and colonizing. That is fantastic. Thor, what about you? You you've been very put upon as the designated GM. <laughs> Nevertheless, uh, it is very much campaigns that I have DM for and not played mm-hmm. in who are yep. my favorite campaigns. But I'll just quickly segue back to my previous podcast where I said that Witcher was my favorite game and just quickly add that if you haven't checked out then the, it's not new anymore but the Bloodhunter class from Matt Mercer that's also a very exquisite class in D&D and one that's very quickly becoming maybe maybe surpassing the Paladins just to throw it out there if you like the Witcher um, but I have a world that I have DM'd in many times and it's not my own world and it's uh, Curse of Strahd it's built on yeah. the base of Dracula and Van Helsing. And it's a, it's a world I, I am very intrigued in. And it fits my way of narrating very well. So narrating in that world is always one of my favorite uh, campaigns. But my absolute most favorite campaign is actually my newest campaign, which is kind of funny when you have DM'd for such a long time. But it's just... Um, let me just quickly describe some of it. It's, it's five young characters who started out actually as teenagers in an academy for adventurers uh, in an academy called Dracos Mira in, in my own uh, cre- in my own world called Akenia and um, there are four houses in the academy there are the, the silver ravens there are the blue lions the golden deer and the black eagles and it's a little hogwarts like in its in its uh, narration yes it's it's actually it's actually mixed between Hogwarts and, and Witcher. That was my, my mm-hmm. ideas when I went into this because uh, half of the playtime is at the academy and half of the playtime are on school missions, which cool. is often uh, monster hunts and blood hunts. Mm, and, all right. Yeah, and going out there and tracking and stuff because they are part of the Silver Ravens and, and each of these uh, houses have their own faculty or specialty and the Silver Ravens are kind of these monster hunters or monster trackers at least. And it's just, it's it's my favorite campaign for many reasons. It's the best cast of players I maybe have ever had. Mm-hmm. Some of them are really old friends that I've known for also decades uh, who have uh, come back. Uh, and it's it's an amazing campaign. Nice. We have played for two years and we are just reached level 10. Oh, oh wow. wow. Yes. Right, that's a big milestone. Yeah. yeah. That That's on par with what I did. And I mean, my favorite campaign is... Just to break it up, so I believe I talked a bit about the that five-year campaign last time around, and trust me, we're going to have more stories about it on this cast. Uh, the one, my favorite, absolute favorite one, without a doubt, that I DM'd in, is the current Shadowrun campaign I'm running. For the uninitiated, Shadowrun is a cyberpunk magic nightmare taking place in the late 2070s, uh, where the world is drastically different from ours, in that magic returned to... The modern world in around 2011 and everything just went to hell in a hand basket uh so it's very much all the cyberpunk tropes everybody knows and loves uh combined with mysticism and it's nuts uh and since i'm getting my feet wet in that campaign i dm for three of my friends who play oh god here we go a homeless wizard who used to work in the ministry of magic who is incredibly powerful and hates the government. A, oh, okay. <laughs> a mafia boss 
Uh, oh, it just who, gets better. Yeah, who operates, I believe, a block of crime, including a bar and a bordello. So mm-hmm. he's essentially a, <laughs> one of those porno management games on legs. Um, Classic mafia boss. He is also a decker, meaning that he can connect to the Shadowruns version of the internet, the Matrix. Oh. And he is very high class and incredibly violent. And he is amazing. And then... <laughs> Uh, <laughs> which one of these doesn't belong? A former Russian East VR esports player <laughs> I, oh, uh, who okay. got really <laughs> sick of uh, being the best at shooting people digitally, so he decided to try his hand at Shadowrunning, which is future mercenary ing, by just buying some guns and seeing if the skills are translatable. They seem to be. And this is not a critique <laughs> on, on like violent video games, <laughs> it just is. So these idiots <laughs> have to navigate this world that oh I am taking, just workshopping into something insane. They are working oh, for genius. Disney at the moment. It's pure chaos, and they ruin everything I do, as we will get to later in the cast. Oh, <laughs> my God. So that's this my favorite campaign that I've DM'd in. Um, One could imagine. <laughs> what a bunch of characters. And yes, the Russian character speaks with a very thick Russian accent. Thank God we're all East European. <laughs> So, uh, apropos of that, <laughs> what is you guys' favorite character you either played or DM'd for? <laughs> I will I accept no questions, time. thank you. <laughs> the hype oh, is um, real. Yeah, uh, how, how to top that? Um, <laughs> who, um, okay, favorite character that I played. Well, I haven't DM'd, so definitely played. Um... I mean, yeah, I'm. Hmm. I'm really liking the uh, the, the new character that I am uh, that I am playing here, the uh, the barbarian. Mm-hmm. Um, his name's uh, Isaac Isaac Dilrock. Uh, he's a mason, and he um, actually uh, he experienced the uh, bits and pieces of the last. Uh, act of the previous campaign, mm-hmm. so he's been of the uh, on the outskirts. He's been you know taking the uh, uh, the the not the brunt of the force, but he's been taking some of the force from the final battle. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's a bit uh, he's a bit weary, battle hardened. Um, but he is this classic old man in the village mason that's skilled at one thing. And he has no social skills to speak of, which leads to a uh, very uh, direct and uh, interesting conversations to move things uh, forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's very, uh, very crafty. He's very practical. Yeah. Um, so I made sure that he's always, he's always got a tool for the job. He's very much um, looking for, for the job and whatever the, whatever, uh, whatever the next goal ahead is. Um, but something kind of sparked in him that I'm playing with here in the, uh, you know, in, in the fight against the, the hordes of the evil BBEG mm-hmm. in his little backstory, the little prelude. Um, and that is his, uh, is his, he doesn't want his work or the people that he's, you know, built these houses and, uh, fortresses to, to protect. He doesn't want those people to live in harm's way. And so he's kind of made this life goal of creating the ultimate defense 
system or fortress or castle, just the, uh, the most impregnable defense ever. Uh, and that's kind of building his, his character forward um, as he needs to overcome his inability to uh, you know, interact with, with people in a more civilized manner. Uh, so building character, you know, talking with uh, with nobles, and you know, coming to this new land, he needs to show his skill in his field of work in order to attract other people, you know, other people of that trade, to join him in furthering his goals. So he's kind of forced to create this this uh, this guild of of highly skilled uh, craftsmen, um, and that's all building upon his very very rocky foundation of of leadership. But you know, all all he 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 may have a crass attitude, but he's he he's the right man for the job, and it, it's just nice to get him to. Uh, to slowly but surely develop this uh, this more sociable attitude and, and learning to direct people in a in a, in a more uh, civilized manner than oh hey you go over there hammer that thing in. <laughs> <laughs> I like that attitude. Oh layers, be yeah. death or yeah layers. Uh, we're like I onions. <laughs> I don't think I can because I'm not as good at creating characters when I play myself as I am as, as DMing. I'll say, hmm. um, and I won't pick a favorite player having DM4 because I know a lot of my players is going to listen to this. <laughs> uh, so uh, I'm going to pick one of my own favorite character I have played uh, because that seems more fair. And um, I I have played a paladin one, a, a vengeance paladin, hmm. uh, who was an Asima also, segue to previous answers. Uh, and um, it was it was by the time where you suddenly got allowed, uh, in, in quotation, to, to be a neutral paladin. So I, I picked a lawful neutral paladin. So paladin wasn't necessarily good nor evil, but had very mm -hmm. strong footage and ground and, and was maybe all right with uh, agreeing with lesser evil to defeat the greater evil, mm -hmm. but was very single-mindedly focused on defeating the, the greater evil. She was called, and yes, it was a she, and she was called uh, Cassandra Ale in Marigold. Oh, and yes. uh, she was a, a, a very strong temperament high temperament paladin who had this kind of smite makes right attitude mm. uh, yeah <laughs> and yeah. <laughs> uh, very stereotypical character actually like her, her village got raged uh, by a, a, a red dragon and as some might know a red dragon often leaves one survivor to spread the fear and the story of this red dragon's territories it's a very stereotypical story and her arc is based on finding this ancient red dragon and kicking its ass uh, but on the path, she has this very Anakin Skywalker attitude to evil, and she becomes, in, in, in the purpose of fighting evil, she almost gets absorbed by evil herself. Uh, because it's, it's so strong emotion, and she's a very emotional character, being a paladin, and having all this on her shoulders. Um, it's like sand. It gets everywhere. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't uh, undercut his emotional... Outpouring and <laughs> quoting episode two. And for example, if she walks through a city and there's so much like evil actions or it's burned down or it's she takes it on her shoulders and she, she tries to bear this cross, and obviously that doesn't work as most mm -hmm. of us will know from life. Yeah. Uh, and it, it doesn't work from for, for her also. So uh, it's very Anakin Skywalker, Darth Vader like story I got inspired by. Uh, we, but yeah. we all seem to have a penchant for put-upon characters, because my favorite one, <laughs> the aforementioned Callus, what was his last name? Callus Dargon, 
I, I haven't used his last name since the first session. I keep forgetting what it was. So, Kallus, um is... I'm going to try and give a succinct description because six years of history have turned him into something entirely different. But he started <laughs> life as a soldier in the Queen's Army of the world we inhabited. And he had severe PTSD due to having lost his leg uh, in a chimera attack. So the chimera bit his like straight up bit his leg off Brutus. and right. he that instilled in him a just complete fear of dying Understandable. And to, to the point where he was chaotic good but he would if if a challenge was too great he would just immediately like finagle a reason to pussy out um and throughout the course of the campaign, because uh, he had a peg, I, I really wanted to have like a peg leg mechanic where I could just attach stuff to my leg, kind of like Bionic <laughs> Commando, but with a leg. And that that developed really cool. I had, at the end of the campaign, I had a Liquid Terminator leg, which would like shoot out spikes. It was awesome. <laughs> um, but Callus's whole deal was that he was very um, he he crash lands on an island after after a shipwreck. And his entire, like, platoon of friends and soldiers dead, as far as he knows. He is alone. He has, like, one thread he is hanging on to his mission. And from there is, like, five years of character development to where now he is the lord of the island. He's accepted the burden of leadership. He doesn't have to limp everywhere. It's it's very inspirational. Um, which directly contrasts with how horrible I am at rolling dice, which is the next topic. <laughs> and I would like to illustrate just how miraculous it is that a just human dude with a sword and board has survived all of all of this, where like two clerics, barbarians, timeless entities have died. This idiot has somehow stayed alive, and I'm pretty sure I have the GM's favor. Um this is one of but the many occasions where my dice have failed me. <clears throat> In one of the final encounters of the campaign, we are fighting this massive skeleton dude. Imagine like King Leoric from Diablo 3. That mm -hmm. but like a, a like a very serrated huge blade that's like 7 feet tall. All so, right. I'm usually I'm the tank, quote unquote. Uh cool. and I'm terrible at it cuz I I still have a remainder of the I don't want to get hit mentality. So our cleric just does everything because he's the best. Uh, but in that fight, for some reason, the GM's like, you tank now. So I, I'm like, sure, bud, I have all this stuff. And I start just getting wailed upon. The crowning moment of just complete m moronity, if that is even a word, was when the Skeleton King started wailing on me. I keep blocking his hits. <laughs> and he's like, that's not going to work. So he picks me up. And what <laughs> so I failed the grapple. Uh, check to not get grappled and then every turn he would casually like, hold me at arm's length and start just stepping with a serrated <laughs> blade he hits me dead on the AC which was 23 every Ooh. time it was either 23 or 25 never above that and considering he had like plus 9 to attack decent but like to hit my AC yeah, yeah. every yeah. time Jesus man so he like <laughs> stabs me I, I almost die. He stabs me again. I die. I get uh, healed. I snarl at him. He cuts my throat. I get revived again. <laughs> snarl at him. Cuts my throat. And that was the entire fight. I tanked. But every oh, single no. one of those rolls was either 
me failing a saving check, me failing a grapple escape check, or <laughs> me getting hit directly on my AC, which is awful. Oh. And that's that's my life as that character. <laughs> Jeez. I mean, you have to wonder, in-game, like in-universe, mm -hmm. getting knocked out or getting killed so many times and then just being yeah. brought back repeatedly, yeah. you, you, you have to wonder what that does to one's mental health. Oh, exactly. Yeah, that's something that thankfully we do not have to explore since the campaign's over. Yeah. <laughs> Poor guy, man. Like, goddamn. Felt you, you got it. <laughs> I um. This garbage. Ooh, uh, the w worst uh, <laughs> run of dice, huh? Um. Well, uh, <clears throat> so this uh, this this one's a little uh, this one's a little spookier. Um. So. For uh, we had a session in this new campaign that we're playing, uh, mm -hmm. the exploration one, where we're you know charting new path, you know mapping out this new continent. Uh, we we get to this new trading town, uh, where we're supposed to meet the uh, the king of the town or the province, uh, and he's apparently in peace talks with some uh, really pesky barbarians that we really don't want to. And the barbarians are enchanting the king to go along with their you know horrible horrible plans. All that good stuff, yada yada. And mm -hmm. some really, really bad stuff happens. The king gets kidnapped. And then a whole lot of roleplay ensues where we need to keep convincing the town that we're good people. We're here to help. <laughs> we're going to get your king back. Just let us rule over the town. You know, we're just trying to prepare you, right? <laughs> Oh, no. uh, and, and so the, the, this this is where the city builder sim kind of that I mentioned kind of come you know should come into action here right, but for for this entire session right, we 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 started doing this for at the start of the session the session ran for about four hours, every single roll that we made ended up with a six somewhere inside of it either it was the natural roll or it was the result. What? And it was just, we were just rolling skills. So no, like, 2d8 for, to hit or, you know, for attacking for damage. No, no, no. This was just d20s across the board for rolling persuasion, uh, performance, whatever, wisdom, anything. Every <laughs> single roll for those hours during that entire session was just sixes. That is cursed. I do not and, believe you. And it's halfway into the session, we're like, I, I, should we stop? <laughs> Should we call it a day? <laughs> Should we just call it a day and go home? Like, is there, is there we, a god that's uh, fucking good? Are, are we fine? Like, is is the universe trying to tell us something? <laughs> Should we get out of here? <laughs> Should we just book it? The, a curse. Yeah. You can only roll sixes. And I mean, the, the only thing we could... I mean, we're... we're, we're it, it's not like... It's not like we have any any weighted dice or anything. I mean, we're playing online on Roll20. I mean, it's, it's, it's like, what? <laughs> What's that, a bug? <laughs> yeah, it, it must be a bug in Roll20, but no, no, like, any, anything else is just like the next day or the next session, it's perfectly fine again. It's, it's not, it was just a developer. Freak. A developer wanted to prank you guys. <laughs> yeah, de for sure, for sure. <laughs> yeah, no, so that was, uh, it was a rough time, uh, trying to convince the town that we are, uh, uh, respectable individuals, and uh, we know what we're doing <laughs> with uh, all these low rolls. <laughs> uh, it was uh, it was very uh, it, it was a bit of a spectacle, uh, <laughs> and uh, very cursed indeed. 
Thor, for contrast, I believe you only remember good rolls. Yeah, <laughs> yes, please. I, I, let's take some good rolls. But I guess it's good rolls on my side, the DM. So I guess it's it's uh, haunting bad rolls. Yeah, that's players. really bad rolls for for the players. So, that yeah. <laughs> so let's. I have I have a cursed dice as well, uh, and it's cursed for the players because it rolls really really good. <laughs> it's a violet dice, and I I use it when I really need to uh, to bring the hammer down upon the party because mm. it's really good. And we tested it, and it isn't loaded. At least it doesn't seem to be in a way that, that goes towards the natural 20s that it just keeps rolling. So um, it's a bit cursed and haunting because we are actually in Curse of Strahd. And it's in an orphanage. And they, are, they have lost one of their players already. There are three players. They are trying to hunt a creature down, which can only be seen by children. It's invisible to all others, just passively. And they are being helped, segue to Witcher again, by a godling. That, that it is a child, it's it's an infinite child, right? Because it lives forever, a godling. So it can see this creature. So it's trying to point them out and, and throw rocks at this, at this creature. And the barbarian, the bard, and the rogue is trying to, to battle this creature. And it starts by charming the barbarian, because that's always a fun thing to, to charm a barbarian. That's like, yeah. oh, you have a barbarian, you have a Hulk. <laughs> Let's use that Hulk against you. Genius. Uh, that's all, and, and he fails. Yeah, I think he actually rolls a natural one or something. Oh, and no. and and yeah, and things just going crazy, and and the players start rolling natural twenties. I think every player actually rolls a natural twenty that combat round, and everything is going good. And then I roll three natural twenties in a row. Oh no! With the same die, and I hate you. And, and it is in a row, and the first one kills, inst- kills oh, uh, the, the rogue. And the second kills the bard because the, it, it's an attack that is 46, so a crit Ooh. is 86, and they are Ooh. level four, level three at this point. Oh, dude, you have like no HP. <laughs> yeah, so they just die. So the, and the third crit uh, almost kills. I think it's the godling that's pointing out this creature, oh, and man. it's going really, really bad until the the barbarian, because I give him a final save because he just sees his friends die. He finally breaks out of the charm and he kills this this creature um which was actually not a tank it was a very fragile creature right because it's invisible and sneaky yeah. um yeah the, they were kind of like it was a fun session but they were really really feeling my diet i think Alexa, pull out this pull up the definition of yeah. fun <laughs> <laughs> oh you're a fun monster subjective <laughs> But they're all back now, but they, they kind of made their sacrifices of, of coming back. To be fair, the rogue is, uh, is a vampire right now in the process okay. of becoming a, a full vampire. So it was easier for him to come back, but still. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. As you do. Well, one thing that can help with horrendous dice rolls is inspiration <laughs> points, uh, which is a topic suggested by Thor. Uh, for those not in the know, the ins- inspiration point system is essentially your dungeon master giving you a die. I believe it was a, an eight-sided die, a d8. Uh, which you can use, you were rewarded that die for a cool action by the discretion of the DM, and at any point you can use it to supplement a roll, right? So let's say you roll poorly on a knowledge check, you can take your D8, you can roll it, and you can add that result to uh, your roll, so you can succeed, potentially. So since uh, it was your brainchild, Thor, what is the best use of inspiration points you've ever seen? <clears throat> so um, we've actually gone back now because we play fifth edition D anD D to just uh, we have I have on my on my game master screen I have these f- 
flips that I can flip up and down, depending if they have inspiration or not. And you can only have one inspiration, uh, but you can also give inspiration to a player. So we have two ways of using this inspiration. You can use it on yourself, but you can also, in the spur of the moment, if you think a player is doing something awesome, uh, you can give that inspiration to him and lose it. And then he has to use it for that specific role, so it's in a moment uh, giving it to that player. Mm -hmm. uh, to help each other, and it just it just enables the table to stay extra much aware, because there's always a moment where they can give these inspiration points, and they need to stay attuned to be able to find these moments. Uh, but we actually don't do it with DH right now. We do it with uh, with D twenties, and mm. it's, you gain advantage or disadvantage. Uh, that's a fifth edition uh, rule to make it mm -hmm. more simple. Um, but yeah, I think just generally, when my players who are educated uh, in doing stupid things, if their character would do that stupid thing, I've actually informed them, please do that stupid thing if that's what you think your character would do. And so this system kind of helps that because then I will absolutely hand out disadvantage because they're doing a thing that's very, very stupid or persuading a person in a way that won't work 99% uh, of the time. And then a player will be like, but it's so awesome, inspiration. <laughs> uh, and then suddenly it's yeah. a straight roll instead yep. of a disadvantage roll uh, and uh, that has helped them multiple times uh, and it's uh, it's just a way of uh, connecting the dots between playing your character even though it's not efficient the DM punishing you for that because of mechanical rules and then the players still enabling it because of role play and it, for us it just all comes together so it's more of a general thing maybe you have something more specific I do, but I want to hear Phelps first. <laughs> Aww. Um, so, you know, it, it's, it's a good thing Thor touched upon this, uh, you know, the general use of inspiration here and what it could be used for. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not a terribly creative person when it comes to using inspiration points. Um, but I... I, I the more surefire way I've been able to use them, or that I've thought of using them, is uh, to help me get out of sticky situations, or to augment certain skills, or you know other things that my character can do in order to turn the tides. But you know, maybe without the drawback, mm -hmm. um, or maybe with the drawback, depending on how big the deal is. So uh, specifically, in an, uh, an event that uh, unfolded in this uh, new campaign here, playing the uh, the Barbarian, the uh, Path of the Beast subclass, which is a very fun subclass. It uh, lets you uh, transform uh, one in, in, into one natural weapon out of three, which is the uh, dual claws, where you're basically dual wielding short swords, 1d6. Uh, the Bite, which is basically a lifesteal um, uh, ability, and uh, the tail, which is a defensive foot, which lets you roll a die and add that to your AC, uh, as well as it's a uh, 10 feet, it's a reach attack as well. Um, and so with this, uh, we were, the party was ambushing uh, an, em an enemy fortress, and everything's burning. We had set fire to everything during the night, People were running around, they were screaming and um, trying to rouse the, the reinforcements to come deal with the, with the intruders, right? And so we yeah. quickly got overran and we got outnumbered by the enemy forces. The party got split up in different sides of, the, of this enemy camp. And 
me, the barbarian, I get knocked unconscious while raging. Um, oh, no. Now, this is important because I use the inspiration point uh, to help me win the death save to get back to 1 HP and help me force myself to enter rage one more time over the limit use. And now the DM likes to really, really play around with uh, evil side effects to when you do something past your character's limits. Um, and what I did here was I used rage one time too many. Um, and he basically said, yeah, uh, okay, you're, you're now transformed into all of these three natural weapons. So you got claws, you've got you've got the bites, you've got the tail as well. So he's a full-on monster at this point. Oh boy. Uh, and he and he is since he just got back to life because he got knocked unconscious and basically killed, he is in a very feral animal state. And so I just get to play a uh, a beast that's out of control, jumping around the camp and just ripping and tearing and slicing and skewering people and finally uh, reuniting with the rest of the party and just being this the, the, this dog that just does hit and run tactics to chip away at the uh, at the big boss of, of the camp. Um, and it was just, it was just like crazy. I, I did not expect this to come, like w with the drawback of this, because after it was done and the rage was supposed to end, the transformation didn't end. I was stuck oh. in oh, no. transformation because I'd overexerted myself. Oh, so no. I was, well, you know, for the foreseeable future, permanently stuck in a a negative intelligence, uh, the animal, you know, transformed body, where. I was just overly aggressive and uh, could not really be controlled. <laughs> so they had to get the uh, the party shaman to uh, use animal handling to, to tame the character. <laughs> yeah. Supreme. They had to. They had to basically <laughs> had the shaman uh, animal handle my character <laughs> to get it under control and basically keep it as a, as the party's pet. <laughs> you went full brain. Full Wolverine. Who wouldn't want a barbarian pet? That's an awesome pet. Yeah, like a barbarian path of beast pet. Uh, <laughs> so for, for like the two coming sessions, I was playing with like eight. No, uh, yeah, with, with with like eight intelligence. That's just a bare minimum. Could barely, <laughs> could, could could barely function. Um, and Damn. with the the party shaman as the as 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 like the master, you know, kind of, kind of like a, he turned into beast master for two sessions. <laughs> That's actually so awesome! I really want to play the barbarian path of the beast. So it's so awesome to hit. This yeah, day. yeah, yeah, and it's it's amazing. And even more fun was um, the uh, basically the the lore indications for why you become path of the beast is you hear a, you get like a this warm fuzzy feral calling inside of you. And it needs to, it's bestowed upon some kind of powerful spirit. And it was a manticore spirit. Uh, and so he actually turned into a manticore when he, when he transformed to all this. And previously to all this, the shaman had actually found a manticore and managed to tame that very royal creature. Oh my God. So he now had wow. two manticores <laughs> by his side. And he was the native of this land. You know, he was the emissary supposed to help guide us through the lands and show the people 
of the power that we possess and, you know, basically making them subservient and, you know, be in my kingdom, everything's gonna be hunky-dory. With two manticores by his side, just being there like lions and... and, and That's um, just the, one badass shaman. Yeah, one badass shaman. <laughs> so, yeah, wow. that's, that's uh, you know, uh, a seemingly innocent... Un- very not creative use of, of, of a simple inspiration point turning into something entirely different thanks to the DM just being yes. very <laughs> very on point when it comes to drawbacks. <laughs> that is fantastic. So essentially you you turned the shaman into the main character of the campaign for two sessions. Yep. <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> Mine is a bit uh, different since it, it does concern Shadowrun. So Shadowrun has a system called Edge, and Edge is essentially you using points, or the player using points, to enact something awesome to happen. Same basic idea as inspiration, but players have a set amount of Edge that they have per character, and those can only be covered via Dungeon Master, just Fiat, you know, here you go, have your Edge back because you did a cool thing, or there were some specific conditions for recovery. Um, and since they have it available to, at pretty much all times in finite amount, they can do insane stuff with it. Uh, and my players, I'm, I guess I'm horrible at balancing encounters because my players just steamroll through everything the book recommended because <laughs> we started playing using the beginner set. And I distinctly remember there was an instance where the party of idiots I mentioned previously had to escort a Yakuza's daughter to a trash metal concert which was taking place at a huge intersection in Seattle. And there was a bunch of encounters during that, like the Italian mafia wanted to kidnap her, um, like one dude wanted to skeeze her away and drug her up, uh, and then the final encounter, if all else failed, uh, was just two huge burly orcs, or no, sorry, trolls. Trolls come up, oh. they just draw shotguns and they just start blasting. Yes, um, <laughs> so anyways, I started blasting. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but since they are huge trolls, they kind of stand out even in a mosh pit. Yeah. And after they were done dealing with whatever preceded the trolls, uh, the sorcerer uh, slash wizard in question that I mentioned, uh, the, the homeless man, mm-hmm. uh, just sort of sees this huge, like, suited, bespectacled trolls shoving their way through the crowd. <sighs> and... <laughs> One of those trolls whips out a shotgun and he holds in like an action pose, you know, the, the Terminator 2 pose with the shotgun pointing ah, straight up. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, <laughs> since, since he knew they were coming, they roll initiative, he's first, and he goes, Okay, I'm supercharging my magic. <laughs> I'm gonna use an edge point to make sure that this hits. Supercharging your magic in Shadowrun essentially means uh, since you choose. I'm not going to bore you with the mechanics, but you essentially double your available pool of dice. Since Shadowrun is based on a d6 system, you just roll a whole crap load of six-sided dice and their success conditions. He's like, I'm doubling my pool. I'm hitting my maximum magic. And (laughs) when when you do that, you have the chance to fatigue yourself too much, which will come into play. So what he does is he rolls. He rolled almost every single goddamn die was a success out of like... 12 or 20 or something, just an insane number of dice. So what happens is that troll whips out the shotgun and through the use of burning an edge point to be able to do that, he like, he stands in some sort of Van Halen metal metal poster <laughs> pose 
<laughs> with his hands toward the heavens. And like <laughs> localized storm opens up, a ginormous bolt of lightning hits the shotgun and just cooks this troll. He gets thanos man. Ooh. He just gets completely dusted, but like he yell, he starts yelling as he's electrocuted. The wizard starts yelling as he's doing that out of the sheer strain. And <laughs> the troll just boom falls into dust. The wizard keeps yelling and he he <laughs> he almost bungles his fatigue roll. So at the apex of the yell, he just collapses and faints on the ground. And the other <laughs> trolls straight away. <laughs> just straight up, nope. <laughs> That was the best use of inspiration oh. points I have seen. That's a blast, uh, to blast or not to blast situation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah nope, not gonna blast uh, here. Damn, and I oh exhausted my myself with telling this, holy crap. Um, so let me let me throw the next question to, let's say, Phil. <laughs> when did a player stump you with an action? That, that can be somebody from your party, I would assume. Yeah, um... So I've been building up to this one just a teensy little bit already. Um, <laughs> now this goes back to Foreshadow. yeah, for sure. Uh, <laughs> this goes back to the previous campaign of the little horror story I mentioned, um, where we have a, a player that's a relatively new to D and D, and he's a, he's a good friend of the DM, um, and he's playing a cleric. So he's the party. Uh, you know, healer, but he like he's playing the storm cleric, um, mm -hmm. so he wants to be a little more you know beefier, kind of walking through things, uh, and just hitting stuff because that's cool. Um, <clears throat> so, and this player, for for whatever reason, decides to challenge the BBEG during one of its first appearances. You know, when they introduce itself. <laughs> you know, hey, I, like hey I exist. Please come find me in like ten to fifteen levels. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's safe to say it didn't turn out so well. Uh, <laughs> so the party was was in a corrupt temple, looking to purify it. And while searching for the source of the corruption, uh, the BBEG makes a sly appearance or sly entrance, taking the shape of a, a mad spirit, also looking for the source. Okay. Uh, the party and the spirit decide to team up, uh, but... Unbeknownst to the party, the spirit had no intention of helping the party. Um, it was only there to basically let the party do all the work and, oh, hey, I'm just going to be here, you know, act like a mad spirit, like I want to destroy this because I'm really mad that my temple is cursed and whatnot. Uh, and so he, the BBG, being the clever one, uh, just lets the party guide him to, to the core, to what he needs. Mm -hmm. And once nice. the party found the source, the mad spirit showed its true colors and just demonstrated its unimaginable destructive power, making it painfully clear that we, at and at the time, level six group of ragtag just adventures, would not stand a chance. And it boldly proclaimed that it would not harm us unless we stood in its way. So with oh, no. all of this previous knowledge... With the just the role playing in the world clearly saying, <laughs> "Don't fuck with me." <laughs> Everyone in the party understood that this was not the time to pick a fight. Everyone except the cleric, oh, no. who decided to single-handedly stand in the mad spirit's way. A few minutes of pleading and one collective party facepalm later, the cleric still wanted to go through with it, uh, thinking they had a chance. Uh, 
I will contribute this to them being relatively new to D&D as a whole. Uh, and, uh, yeah, the mad spirit nonchalantly walked up to them and used the seventh level spell, Finger of Death, instantly yes. killing the cleric and turning it into a zombie under their control. Oh, boy. Uh, the mad spirit yes. then opened up a portal and uh, disappeared with our now zombified cleric. Uh, <clears throat> uh, yeah, the person playing the cleric was uh, rather surprised at the outcome. <laughs> 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 so, some something about a holy holy crusader of light and holy artifacts purge this evil being turn undead. <laughs> God damn it. Yeah, uh, that was uh, that was that was certainly an interesting experience. Uh, yeah, we lost our party healer after that. Um, <laughs> that um, that player re-rolled into a kleptomaniac pirate ranger. Uh, who, for whatever ungodly reason, like, even outside of any RP-related um, drives or, or uh, like, personal traits, would would try to just yoink loot from the party that we would even evenly distribute anyways. And so it got to the point, it got so bad to the point where we had to just put, like, a curse on on the character where we give it stuff you don't take stuff we give you what you need to be an asset to the party you're not allowed to take stuff anymore just oh, stop it this is not okay you're just ruining the experience for everybody else oh god so I, wow yeah that that whole person seems like that cleric derailment the person <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, yeah, I mean, previously with their cleric, they'd uh, they'd walked through traps and uh, they'd walked through walls, uh, and they'd willingly, you know, going back to the to the previous podcast, it's the same cleric I was talking about that willingly accepted a mind flayer's charm. Oh God, <laughs> that's a wonderful spell. It's a wonderful spell because it it doesn't only kill the player; it makes them a zombie, and then the party has to yep. deal with that zombie also exactly. emotionally. Yep. Afterwards, we talked about the last podcast as well, Sven, and one of the, I've had one of my players do this as well. So it was a little bit more planned. This mm -hmm. seems a little bit more like god complex, but I mean, it's a cleric. I mean, yeah, yeah, no, definitely. And the later on, the the holy order that the cleric was part of had to, of course, go and, and deal with the, the, the zombified cleric, which yeah. was not, it, which it wasn't great for any of the characters, you know. So, like three, four levels later, you know, coming into contact with the BBG again and having to deal with this, with with, with their party member, uh, even you know, no matter how stupid they were, uh, you know, still a party member. So yeah, that was uh, so it's a bit of a uh, bit of a sad moment, but also a big what the fuck. <laughs> <laughs> um, I to to keep it in to the tune of players, since I assume Thor will have. Many of stories of his players uh, stumping <laughs> him. I managed to derail the entire that five-year D&D campaign with uh, the only good run of dice I've ever had, where we no. were on the island uh, to, or my character was on the island to help uh, alleviate a blockade, I believe. And I remember the blockade was due to a zombie plague uh, of sorts. So we tracked down the source of the zombie blockade, uh, zombie plague, sorry, to the son of the Duke of the Island, who had turned into essentially Arthas. And um, the idea was that, at least the Dungeon Master shared as much, like two years after the, the fact, 
that this was supposed to be one of our first big fights, and he had all this, like, cool paraphernalia, he could transform his hands into claws. Uh, and he was, like, sitting on an annihilated temple on the ruins of it, and I go up to him, and since my character was very risk-averse, like I mentioned, I just start going, hey, man, uh, we know you've been cursed, like, can we help you? And I just start rolling good enough to convince him <laughs> that it might be a good idea to let us help him, which in turn turned him into our gr pretty much greatest ally on the island. Now, what I neglected to remember was that the zombie plague was directly tied to that character. So the idea was that we would help him and leave the island. We never left the island in the five-year duration of the campaign. Oh, no. Because I saved him, and I completely forgot he was the source of it. So, yeah, there's a whole world out there which we have not seen because I rolled 15 three times. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's the ill fate of a DM, I guess. Mm -hmm. Speaking All of right. the ill fate of the DM, yeah. take yeah. it away, Thor. <laughs> One of my players, an old friend of mine, which I've also done a lot of LARPing with in the past, and, and we, he's no stranger to roleplay. Mm -hmm. And um, let's tell a story about a big Goliath druid called Vogund, who is also called the Naked Stormbringer, because he likes to bring storms and he likes to do it naked. Right, understandable. Yeah, Word he's a Goliath. Man. He's he's very warm in all places, so mm -hmm. he wanna he wanna he wanna be naked. Right, right. And uh, the party has told him that uh, maybe he should not be naked. So it's at a point of time where he has he has learned that maybe he should not be naked at all times, uh, as well as summoning storms at all times. So we are in a maze, uh, actually in a in a magical maze created where they are. Uh, there is a very very strong wizard uh, fighting another very very strong wizard in this maze and they are just here as a byproduct to survive because they can't fight neither of them uh, and they have a sword who is actually an old devil uh, imprisoned in the sword and there's other devils wanting to get this devil back and a portal opens very close to them in this maze that they're running in and a devil is coming out of this portal and already, of course, proclaiming that he is almighty and he's going to take the sword. And this druid rolls very well in initiative and has a spell called Primal Fist. He plays a homebrew archetype to druids that is a primal druid that uses magic that precedes uh, the division of arcane and divine magic, which is my world, is primal magic. Mm -hmm. um, before it was shaped into these two parts of magic. And he tries to slam the demon... A devil back into his own realm because he's still in his portal. So he walks up there and he rolls an apple trench and he slammed his he slammed he slammed the devil back into his own realm and closes the portal behind him. So he's like interrupting him and saying nope. Um, but that's not actually the, 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 the stupid thing here. What? It's based on it's based on wild magic sorcerer. So he has to roll on a table to oh, see what no. happens because it's a bit wild magic, but on the druid side, it's uh, yeah. So he rolls, uh, and I think it's one percent chance he rolls that he's getting randomly teleported to another plane of existence. <laughs> oh no! Oh no! <laughs> I roll a natural twenty because I have around twenty planes of existence, and he gets teleported into the fire plane. It needs to also be said here that he is, for some reason, I think, feeble-minded by the devil reacting to him slamming him in. Or so he's feeble-minded when he gets there. Um, in the fire plane, 
also needs to be said here is he's carrying the bag of holding with all the gold and all the equipment they don't oh use in the party. No. And it has a lot of items and it has, I think, a 10,000 platinum investment by an order who have just made it to the parties for them to build an inquisition, oh, which shit. is part of the plot. All right. He's very hot. Uh-huh. So he starts stripping down, evil-minded in the plane of fire. Uh-huh. Throwing everything down on the ground somewhere in the plane of fire. Oh, like no. items, weapons, bag of folding. Oh, and then suddenly no. the time is up. One minute has gone, and he returns to the maze, naked, no. with nothing, no. and feeble-minded, so he will never be able to remember where he was. Oh my, oh my god. god. What a combination. What a, <coughs> what a devilish combination. Oh, boom. <laughs> it's so crazy, and they never got the bag folding back. I mean, how are they supposed to get it back? It's in the plane of fire. It's probably burnt at this yeah. rate. And they had they had mind mages trying to, to, to penetrate his mind to try and find out where he left oh, it. No. The sequence yeah. of events is insane. So he punches <laughs> Satan back to hell, goes yeah. to hell a la Doom Eternal, and then just decides <laughs> to save and quit mentally. <laughs> no, no, no. no. He, he's, he decides to quit without saving. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and he's such a role player. Like, so when he drops the bag of holding... It's because he feels like his naked Stormbringer Goliath would completely strip naked in this in this warmth. Yeah, I mean, it, it makes sense. <laughs> it's crazy. And then that he never was... picks it up. <laughs> that's such an amazing... Like, yeah, as Svetlin said, it's an amazing sequence of events with an amazing role player that just... My God. <laughs> how many, how the... many plot threads died that day? Like, at least two? The sword died, I guess the money investment died, <laughs> the, the fight with the devil died, so I guess it's at least three, maybe. Uh, and there were some things in the bag of holding they needed, so maybe four or five. Oh, uh, man, that is rough. It took some time, actually, for all to recognize this, because he came back and they were like, wait, what about the bag of holding? And I was like, well, what about it? It's it's still there in the file thing. And then another was, oh, it's okay, he remembers where it was, and... No, he's feeble-minded. Real. Oh. <laughs> the oh. realization starts setting in that the people start freaking oh. out. <laughs> is that... This uh, segues into the next question fantastically. Is that the <laughs> stupidest or weirdest experience you've had as a player or DM? Or, like, is there is something else? Uh, I think there's, there's, a, there's a short one. And it, it's in Vampire the Masquerade. And it was just... Uh, so surreal they were at a rave party in seattle at an underground uh, rave party called the kings it's 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 close to the station there in seattle and and uh, yeah the rave was going on pretty crazy and the nosferatu of the group who is this disgusting vampire who needs to to either go invisible or or try to cover himself because he's uh, he's his features are revolting to other people and he might break the masquerade by indicating he's a vampire in just existing. Mm -hmm. um, but at this rave party, he's completely okay because it's a rave party, so everybody thinks it's a costume. Yeah. So oh. he, for once, this Nosferatu vampire, who's an, an hacker, starts going crazy. And I don't know how, but he uh, becomes enemy with a Teletubby at the rave, <laughs> one who is dressed oh. as a Teletubby. And they start fighting, 
and he and he's pretty strong, so he starts. He makes the you know the country western bar move where he slams the teletubby into the bar and just rolls him across the bar, slamming everything on the ground. <laughs> and the teletubby obviously has a gang of other teletubbies because that's the sense of the teletubby. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they start they start <laughs> jumping this Nosferatu on top of him, oh, and then everybody no. else starts jumping on top of them because they think it's a rave thing. Oh, so everybody's yeah. jumping on top of this vampire. <laughs> It was just, it was just such a stupid moment. <laughs> it was so just, dumb. And the player started jumping up and down, and it was just everybody was laughing. It was so dumb. Man, that it is was, stupid as shit. And now I have marked down that they have an enemy called the Taylor Tubby Gang. Oh no. Yeah. That has to be a recurring have, enemy. <laughs> yeah. I was just envisioning it like a GTA Five mod, where it's just a whole bunch of poorly textured Teletubbies just sprinting yeah. at people. Oh, no. Bats. <laughs> That is ridiculous, Phelps. And he, <laughs> what you got? Oh, he didn't go into Quincy, oh. Frenzy, I might add. He could have yep. gone into Frenzy and it would have been so bad. But he oh, didn't. Boy. Yeah. Um, God, he didn't tear the Teletubbies apart. <laughs> I mean... Shit, how do I top this? Um, <laughs> I know I can't. So. Uh, <laughs> okay, so we have... We have a few... A few, few things to... Uh, Okay, okay, I, th- I think this one's, uh, this one's good. Um, so, the story about uh, the uh, Uganda Knuckles cult. Oh, God. <laughs> Please elaborate. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> so, uh, in the old campaign, uh, the three-year one with my wizard, uh, we um, arrived at a magical island of wonder. And this island was inhabited by uh, native uh, people. Uh, they were short, stubby, and red. <laughs> uh, and this was around the time where the whole Uganda Knuckle thing was a big deal. Uh, and my DM loved the meme of just everything being Uganda Knuckles. We even had a mm. Uganda Knuckle slime appearance. <laughs> where we would just poorly photoshop a, a Uganda Knuckle face on a slime and have it as a monster. No. Um, but yeah, no, uh, my my wizard, <clears throat> also short, uh, stubby, and just clothed in red, uh, managed to, um, well, hit a bit of a, uh, a persuasion role uh, with a few of the, uh, of, of the natives. Uh, being a wizard with high intelligence, uh, producing <laughs> some works of wonder using prestidigitation, my favorite spell, by the way. Uh-huh. Um managed to convince them that my wizard knew the way <laughs> and slowly but surely started amassing a cult following of these tiny little red men people things uh that would follow him around and constantly you know chirp on about you know clicking the tongue noise and chirping on about is this the way or do, so I, do you know the way or this, this person knows the way <laughs> Uh, and they were kind of just following him around, and, and he just he just became this this cult this occult leader that would just hold ceremonies and and just talk to them and preach to them about you know you need to do this you need to be a good citizen for us here you need to help us out with our mission and you know that's that's to further your goal in life of, of this is the way for you walk this path the young warriors yada yada and we just had. We we had you know the, the the Uganda Knuckles warriors. We had the mages. We had the, the the rogues. We had every single class, just round up in an army, and we just swept the entire island 
amassing more and more of these, <laughs> and then we used all of these to just wage, like, imagine a CGI Marvel war with a bunch of disposable <laughs> characters running at each other. <laughs> that was basically the climax of the, uh, <laughs> of that little arc. <laughs> You guys both just described fever dreams. <laughs> yeah, I, I, uh, that was probably the stupidest and weirdest experience that I've had with this. And, and, and that's not mentioning the blow-it-out-your-ass parasites, which is just Ugh. juvenile to the point of no return. <laughs> Save it for next time. Yeah. God. <laughs> Mine, I, can't, I cannot beat those. Mine is an escalating series of just unfortunate happenstances. Uh, in the first campaign I played, the one from 2012, I played a dwarf cleric, and <laughs> we had the, the party was a like two and a half meter tall Slavic fighter, a ranger, a half elven ranger who just loved nature, uh, and a <laughs> sorcerer who was definitely not a wizard. He hated wizards. Who was very obsessed with wealth. And his image. And, uh... Here we go. <laughs> we we need to go to an island to get to a wizarding competition where we were gonna sneak the sorcerer in as a wizard. Ooh, uh, yes. And <laughs> the, the first hurdle, which we didn't even anticipate being a hurdle, was getting a boat. We go to a boat rental shop, and we just start talking to the nice old man, and the GM had prepared this whole speech, and we're playing in Bulgarian, so it's extra cringe. We start... We, this, we go into a very long... He goes into a very long diatribe. And at one point, the fighter was like, I'm, I'm in the boat and I'm going. And and the rest of us <laughs> are like, oh, okay. We just awkwardly shuffle onto the boat. And the, the boat proprietor, still mid-sentence, uh, he just keeps talking. We keep walking. It's like an oblivion NPC conversation where he just sort of like tracks us <laughs> with his full body as we're just awkwardly <laughs> shuffling onto the boat. And through some misunderstanding, we're just we're just departing, like we're leaving. And uh, <laughs> uh, the the GM goes, "Okay, what about his payment?" And we're like, oh, "I don't care. You know what? Uh, half the payment. Uh, just uh, here you go." And we ch chuck him half half the payment, and we're loaded, by the way. We chuck <laughs> him half the amount for the boat, and we just keep going. And on the way, the GM's like, "Well, are you guys going to discuss something?" We get into a deep ethical discussion on uh, the. <laughs> So dumb. On the um, morality of paying him only half the price, on the economics of the free market in this world, oh, we just no. keep going. And we reach the conclusion of, yeah, we're innocent. We're going to be fine. We're going to, like, pay the rest when we get back. It's fine. We don't care. And the sorcerer was the biggest proponent of this, by the way. So as we reach, <laughs> reach the dock on the island on the other side after an hour's time, there is just... A regiment of guards waiting no, for no. us. Oh no. Uh, since uh, <laughs> through like some knowledge we had found out uh, post after the fact that the boat proprietor was just this revered local figure and everybody loved him. So like he called the cops. <laughs> oh no. The cops are sitting there and mid sentence the sorcerer as he's explaining <laughs> that we're innocent. He swan dives into the water and starts swimming away while doing stealth checks. So he's like swimming with half his body, <laughs> trying to be as stealthy as possible. He's gone. Um, the <laughs> the rest of us uh, get to the dock and um, they're he's willing to throw us a bone. 
and he the GM goes like, we understand your your revered local heroes in your own right. We're going to give you a pass. Just give us half the money. and You're going to be fine. And the fighter unsheathes his massive spy hander. <laughs> no, 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 it no. into the dog and goes, make us. <laughs> oh, no, no. So immediately, Don't do that. And, and this is after I like rolled really decent on diplomacy, right? So the cops immediately like swarm us. They pin us down. They start like um, <laughs> reading us <laughs> no. our Miranda rights, essentially. Uh, at that point, the sorcerer is already like pretty much left. Uh, but he's like, okay, it's the party. He comes back, he conjures this huge sandstorm as, as like, <laughs> the ranger who has massive troubles with authority keeps antagonizing the cops, right? And he's just starting to slowly calm down, but he's still really pissed off. And the, the sorcerer emerges, casts the sandstorm, and he just starts emerging out of it, trying to smooth everything over, because he's a sorcerer, charisma, right? He just starts talking like, oh, uh, gentlemen, there's been a huge misunderstanding. At that point, <laughs> the ranger wiggles out. <laughs> Produces a dagger and stabs a cop in the hand. Oh no! <laughs> Goes to leave, rolls a natural one, gets immediately clotheslined by another cop, and we're all in jail immediately. <laughs> uh, that what? is stupid. <laughs> no de-escalation whatsoever. Yikes! We tried three times to de-escalate, including with the magic, beautiful sandstorm. Nothing. That's yeah, the dumbest thing I've experienced. Oh my god! One somebody, or, somebody stopping it. <laughs> I love the fighter moment with the sword. I don't <laughs> know why he us. did it. It wasn't even a Make character. Us. He just <laughs> hates cops IRL, I guess. And just, nope. Oh nothing to God. that. It's like, <sighs> yeah, the, the best decision to make when, you know, we're 100% gonna be in the slammer if we don't smooth this over. Yeah, just stab the cop in the hand. Everything yep, will be yep. fine. I'll get out. No words. <laughs> even if we did get out. When I mean, players are not in sync. <laughs> yeah. That is, uh, whew, yeah, players are working against Maybe each other, that's, uh, that's a defense. fun one. Yeah. Sven, do, do we have, how much time do we have? Can I add a, a quick one? Of course, yeah. Okay, so we had an artificer one last time we played Curse of Strahd, this, this Dracula-like story. And mm -hmm. they fought an, a very strong fey creature uh, called Baba Yaga. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, yeah, and uh, don't fight fey's, guys. It's dangerous. <laughs> And essentially, he was the last one to uh, to uh, like give her the, the final blow, so she died. And uh, he was cursed. Uh, and he was slowly turning into a Fomorian, which is a, a, a pink giant in, in D&D. And he was slowly turning into that because he killed her. Um, but he got, they couldn't find out what it was. And it was turning him pink. So they wrote some medicine checks and elaborated that it was probably Faye Herpes. <laughs> that he had gotten from her. <laughs> and that, that became a whole selling point in the story that they had to, to save the artificer from Faye Herpes. No. Uh, and, oh, no. And Strahd, the Dracula of the story, it became... Uh, like, this artificer actually betrayed his party in the end because this, this Dracula person had promised him a vial of his blood which would break the Faye Herpes if he was to betray the body. <laughs> And he was healed, by the way. Oh, and this no. still, this still is a story that's passed on in my groups about the Fey Herpes. Oh no! Yeah, it's so words. stupid. Fey so Herpes stupid. to anything and just make it dumb. When low rolls just contribute to the funniest and stupidest shit that ever happens. Yeah, oh yeah, it's great. I, I have one 
for for next time. That is just ridiculous and is very indicative of how bad I rolled during that five year campaign with Callus. <laughs> um, but for now, let us wrap this up with the final question of what is the most brilliant slash surprising experience you have had as a player or a DM in any game? Uh, um, yeah, this this probably no, actually no, this most definitely ties into. Um, uh, how well my DM uh, treats the rule of cool and how much he just goes with things that, okay, this makes sense. Um, so we're in this, we're, we're gonna fight this, this dragon boss. Um, it's in the prelude to actually finding the boss and fighting the boss. Uh, we encounter a bunch of these, uh, uh, what are they called, the, the dragonlings, the, um, the, the, like the... Cobalt? Uh, yeah, no, not cobalt. Uh, dra dragonborn, but they're actually still controlled by the dragon. Um, okay. And we need to push our way past, right? And mm -hmm. so the wizard that I'm playing uses just this, this gust of wind spell, right? It's seemingly harmless, just a strength check to push <laughs> people away. But with the rule of cool, we're using that thing in a 7th level spell slot. Mm. <laughs> and, uh... What? <laughs> I mean, that, that's like... That, that's not in any rules, but it's the rule of cool, right? It's awesome. <laughs> it's like awesome. It. Uh, and so, he's just standing like, 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 like Moses, parting the seas, but just... <laughs> he's <laughs> blasting this gust Sorry. of wind. It's not even wind at this point. It's just this, this turbulent current of a, of, of a, um, of a jet-powered engine. It's just blasting it, opening up a path. Just people flying everywhere straight to the dragon's lair. And and we're just walking like we're we're uh, he was a, an evocation uh, wizard, mm -hmm. so he could choose to create these pockets of safety so the party were immune to the effects of this you know strong gust of wind. Nice. And so we just walked through this while we're seeing you know like a, like you go in an aquarium tunnel like underwater just <laughs> seeing everybody flying around. Um, and then we get to the dragon, and we fast forward to about the middle of the fight, where the dragon is about to transition into a new face. And mm. it's, this, it's the desperation face. The dragon's building air. It's flying straight up. We're in a volcano, right? So it's flying straight up, just going further and further. And it like for, for three, we have three turns to, to prepare, right? Or was it two? Mm. Whatever. We, we, have, we have just... Not enough turns for our bard to cast, uh, uh, what, the, the hut? The tiny hut, or whatever it's called. Uh, we, we, we have just, it's, it's just on the brink of it that we're not going to have enough time to, to, to get it out. And so, right before we land, we're just all running around trying to find cover somewhere. Uh, because we're gonna get impacted, we're gonna get annihilated like the goddamn dinosaurs, and we're in a volcano, this thing's definitely <laughs> going to erupt. Um, I look at, I look in my spellbook, and I'm, I'm seeing my favorite spell, my favorite Swiss army knife, Wall of Force, 5th level. <laughs> yes. That thing yes. is so good, because it does not let anything go through it. And it can be so thin and so large, you have, what, 10, 10, 10 by 10 foot plates that you can just mm -hmm. put out and like build out like Lego. 
And yeah. so I made a, and it's invisible, right? You can't see it. Mm. Yeah. So I made this invisible like uh, ceiling on over us. So when the dragon came crashing down, it crashed into the wall of force and just annihilated. Like, I mean, it would have halved its own HP regardless, but we weren't affected this time. So we just see this dragon just face planting, crashing into an invisible wall right above us. It's, it's like... It's like you, you you see in comedy movies where people like walk into glass doors, right? Or walk into just glass windows and their face gets all squished up. We just see that looking up, the dragon coming down and just gets absolute squ- absolutely squished. I'm envisioning an Evangelion moment more so than that, where you just cast an AT field, this deep anime uh, yeah. knowledge. Just boom, rainbow shockwave. Yep. So and sick. That that just nullified the entire big desperation nuke attack that we're supposed to at least take out two party members. Nice. <laughs> just with a the clever use of the Swiss Army knife that is uh, Wall of Force. <laughs> nice. Thor, what you got? Yeah, my story begins with a bot. And it's also in the Curse of Strahd Dracula story, and, and this bard was very new to D&D, and he was a player at the time uh, that I recruited from my university at the time. And and he slowly over the time, and bard is an amazing class, he slowly over the time learned the power of stories and the power that a bard has. Uh, because the power that a bard has is actually incredible, but it's very indirect in, mm-hmm. in, in, in the class. Uh, it's the power of creation, and, and he... He just slowly recognized that he could weave stories and he could roleplay and, and it was amazing to see this player just learning D&D and how to do it. But he did so many amazing things with it and he started giving himself all these titles. And, and in, this, in this land, you go through all these superstitious cities and, and it's dark middle age and dark fantasy. And, and he was like, then he suddenly he was named the Invisible Bard because he went invisible when there was trouble. He, was, he faced a big, um, a big uh, toad in the Underdark, which called itself the Bucklord. And it was like, in the first encounter, it was like, I am the Bucklord. And he just went forward and said, no, I'm the Bucklord. Oh, no. And and the, the Bucklord was like, what? <laughs> and, and, and and they killed him, and he took the title. And he killed a, an evil henchman called Strasny, and he ran in and took his head at the last moment of the fight, and he called himself the Bane of Strasny. And he just became this bard with all these titles uh, traveling yes. through the lands. And he... And, and, and whenever they came to a city, they, they were hearing stories from the streets about, oh, have you heard about this party with this bard? He's the magical leader, but he's invisible. You can't see him. And, and the fighter and the pallet and the wizard were so like, no, but the bard does nothing. We are the true heroes of the party. Why, why does everybody think the bard is the leader of the party? <laughs> and it ended with him taking a title he should not have taken, which was the Scourge of Mankind. It's, it's bad in itself, right? Uh-oh. It's something he had heard. And he, he read it in a book and he was like, I am the Scourge of Mankind. And, and, and this bard is adopted by a gnome. He's never known his parents. And he finds out in the ending of the story that the Scourge of the Mankind is a title for the right-hand vampire of the, of the evil bad guy who killed his parents. Oh, Ooh, so he runs course. around at the end having given himself a title of the creature that killed his parents. It was just an amazing <laughs> closure to this. So he learned his lesson. But amazing bard. That, that is so cool. Just the, the gradual amassing of, of history to a character is one of my favorite things, which uh, ties into my story. My, my story is a crescendo moment of all of this. 
Um, so the previous podcast, I talked a bit about Logan, our Witcher, functionally a warlord, a warlock character, who turned into one of my favorite things of the campaign. Because, again, me, me and the player have such good chemistry and we just constantly sat next to each other and, and bantered back and forth. Or in and out of the game, ironclad bond. And I remember there was an instance where we were in a dimension where his... He, he had shrugged his warlock class to become a pseudo-paladin, if I remember correctly. But his oath still bound him to his demon lord master and we finally track him down we get thrown into his dimension and we i just remember he pushed us into the portal before my character considered us to be ready and i just went off on him and it was just a very real moment of anger and it turned out to be the last thing i would say to him in character since uh we we get to the demon lord we start fighting him and the demon lord just goes Die, Logan. Power word kill. Yeah. No. No. He drops dead. And it was, it was a like true character death, and I didn't realize it at the time in character. And this was an amazing moment in a, in its own right. This is where the brilliant part comes in, uh, where our <laughs> our rogue, who is a uh, a Khajiit essentially, he had a he had in his back pocket for years a potion of demon slaying and so he we had a hand signal which would denote essentially what in marvel is called a speedball special where i would use my shield as a platform launch him whenever he wanted to go and he would do a cool thing with the with the momentum so he gives me the hand signal i position myself he jumps off my shield and at the apex of his jump he throws the potion down the demon's throat and the demon collapses dead dead silence we're all high-fiving and then i see logan's corpse and in probably one of my finest moments of role-playing i stand up and i think i told told thor this i start yelling at the cleric to bring him back because i don't understand it he's logan's quote-unquote died before right so i uh i would expect him to be revived and i went through halfway through that it turned very real again and I almost started crying just yelling for him to bring my friend back and him just yelling back that he absolutely could not and yeah uh, <laughs> that's where the session ended <laughs> with the horrifying realization that my friend is dead and uh... it's it's still one of the most powerful emotions I've felt in my life yeah, that's and then the dead. That's so sad. That's so deep. That's, damn. All right. I mean, that's that's, just, that's powerful. D and D is so sometimes it's so flimsy where you can just bounce back and forth between alive and dead, as we discussed in the the opening of the of, of the podcast. And then this, where it's like, yeah, no, no, no more retries, no more, <laughs> no, uh, no more second lives, no more, no more of that. It's just you fucked up. Now live with the consequences. And it's it's a very poignant note to end on. If uh, anybody is telling you that D&D is a weird game for babies and you should not waste your time on this, consider what I just told you or what we just told you over this hour and a half. D&D 
D&D can lead to some of the best experiences of your life, bar none. And that is the podcast. <laughs> um, slightly serious and somber yeah. note to end on, but yeah. I figured the gravitas, you, you know, it brought with itself necessitated this. So thank you everybody for listening. Uh, thank you, Felp and Thor, for taking the time to nerd out with me uh, for this prolonged period of time. Um, yeah, this was fantastic. And I very much hope that we can do more of these, as well as an upcoming Ember Sword RPG that we may or may not start workshopping in the near future, but <laughs> that is all to come. So thank you, everybody, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Hey, you. You made it to the end. Congratulations. That must mean you like us enough to want more, right? Well, good news. We're all over the internet. Go to embersword.com and subscribe to our newsletter for a chance to play the game early, as well as the latest interesting tidbits on the game and the team. Join our lovely Discord community over at discord.gg slash embersword. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at PlayEmbersword for regular updates on what we're up to. And remember the basics. Drink water, be kind to each other, and spread the word about Embersword.